killers caught on camera. New video from the Edmonton murder of a known gangster and his young son with worries of more violence in BC too. A happy ending to the search for lost hunters. We played a lot of that game. A lot of I Spy. How they survived in the wilderness. And neighbors rage against late night raves. They're jumping around and screaming and hooting and hollering and having a great time. The downtown playground that's turning into an after hours party zone. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We'll have those stories for you in a moment. But first, a high profile BC gangster has been ordered extradited to Canada from Puerto Rico. As Ramina Dea reports, it's the latest development in a more than decade long battle to bring Connor DeMonte back to BC to face justice. After more than a decade on the run, a BC gangster arrested in Puerto Rico last year has lost the latest round in his extradition case. Connor Vincent DeMonte, who is wanted for murder, is battling being returned to Canada to face trial. In his latest decision, U.S. Magistrate Judge Marshall D. Morgan ruled, despite DeMonte's absolute rejection of the facts and charges presented by the government of Canada, he did not introduce any evidence of his own, nor did he offer any plausible legal argument to support his challenges. DeMonte was charged with first-degree murder in 2011 for the killing of rival gangster Red Scorpion Kevin LeClaire at a Langley shopping mall in 2009. DeMonte, the leader of the UN gang, said RCMP. The accused also wanted on one count of conspiracy to murder the Bacon brothers. DeMonte is an extremely dangerous individual and should be considered armed and dangerous. According to U.S. documents based on Canadian submissions, a former associate said DeMonte was determined to win the war against the Red Scorpions gang and even took charge of the intelligence gathering effort and the dispersal of information. He also purportedly ran the hit teams who were hunting for the Bacon brothers and their associates. None of the allegations have been proven in court. DeMonte, last seen by police in Canada at YVR. According to court documents, he got off a plane and boarded a limousine with his wife and kids on January 20, 2011. He was to be arrested at his home three days later, but was gone. A massive reward of up to $100,000 was extended by Canadian authorities in 2019. DeMonte had been living in Puerto Rico for years, volunteering for a honeybee charity before he was arrested with a firearm in February of last year, said U.S. authorities. When could DeMonte be back on Canadian soil? We don't know. We have reached out to the BC Prosecution Service to find out if a tentative trial date has been set. DeMonte's Vancouver lawyer, Chris Johnson, tells us an appeal is a possibility. Currently, DeMonte remains in custody in Puerto Rico. Romina Dea, Global News. Police in Edmonton have released pictures and video of the suspects in the killing of a 41-year-old gangster and his 11-year-old son. Kristen Robinson has the latest on that crime and a shooting farther east that claimed the life of another man well known to police here in B.C. 
Surveillance video released by Edmonton police captures the suspects they say intentionally gunned down a known gang member and his child. 41-year-old Harpreet Uppel and his 11-year-old son were fatally shot in southeast Edmonton on November 9th. Security footage shows the suspects arriving in a black BMW SUV. The two shooters exit and run towards Uppel's white SUV and fire before running back to their vehicle, which speeds away. They found a male to have been shot in the underground parking. A day earlier, 27-year-old Parmvir Chahil of Windsor, Ontario was slain in Toronto in a shooting in a Young Street parkade. Police say the suspect took off in a newer model silver SUV. Chahil was a BC United Nations gangster, according to Vancouver Sun crime reporter Kim Bolin. It's really hard on him. Chahil was one of three BC men convicted in a vicious 2018 attack on a man with autism at a Mississauga bus terminal. Surveillance video shows the trio coming down the steps and surrounding the 29-year-old victim before punching and kicking him, then running away. Chahil was sentenced to nine months in jail and one year probation for aggravated assault. It's a cowardly act. These young men attacked an innocent person for no good reason. Chahil's criminal past in B.C. includes charges of uttering threats and possession of a weapon dating back to 2015. That same year, he was reportedly the target of a shooting in Abbotsford where an innocent grandfather, 74-year-old Ping Shun Ao, was killed after he was hit by a stray bullet. Sometimes retaliation will almost be immediately. Sometimes retaliation will be down the line. Former B.C. Public Safety Minister Cash Heed says retaliation for the Toronto and Edmonton shootings is guaranteed and could happen anywhere. CFSEU should be very concerned. Every law enforcement agency in Canada should be very concerned. And the public at large should be very concerned. The brazen attitude of the so-called killers uh, is just so upsetting. The Combined Forces Special Enforcement Unit, BC's anti-gang agency, says it needs time to understand the scope of events in recent days before being in a position to comment. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A member of the Squamish climbing community has died in an avalanche near the BC-Alberta border. It happened Saturday afternoon as the man and his partner were ice climbing in Peter Lougheed Provincial Park. They were hit by a wind slab avalanche and swept into a gully below. The woman was able to dig herself out and activate her GPS. The man's body was recovered underneath the snow on Sunday morning. Although they were prepared and it's early in the season for an avalanche, officials say there are still a number of hazards to be aware of in the backcountry. And then you also just have the general hazards of tree stumps and creek beds and rocks that are just below the surface you can physically injure yourself on. And, and sometimes those things can be a problem if there's an avalanche because they also create additional hazards as well. Anyone heading into avalanche prone zones is being reminded to carry a beacon, a probe and a shovel at minimum. Well, the best possible outcome to a harrowing incident on northern Vancouver Island. Three people who went missing over the weekend during a hunting trip were found and brought to safety. Kylie Stanton has more on the heartwarming reunion and how the trio was able to find help. The news is delivered and after three long nights, Trevor Cosman can finally breathe. All I've been told is that, that they're okay. Words can't describe how much... This means to me. But this reunion says it all. 
On Friday, Cosman's wife, six-year-old daughter and father-in-law set out on their annual hunting trip near the village of Was on northern Vancouver Island. But things took a turn when their vehicle became trapped in the terrain and there was no way of getting it out. Just hunkered down, stayed nice and warm, turned the heater up. Just had to keep in spirits, high spirits, not try not to be cranky and frustrated. Aerosmith, Nanaimo, Comox and Campbell River Search and Rescue, along with the Civil Air SAR and RCMP resources were called to assist. But as the vehicles pulled out, word came in the trio had been found. And you know what, it's a treasure every time we do. Uh, this is definitely reminds us all uh, why, we, why we're doing this. The situation also a reminder for anyone heading into the backcountry to be prepared, particularly on the North Island, where there is next to no cell phone coverage in the region. Having some sort of a, a satellite-based emergency beacon, whether it's a, a PLB or one of the emergency beacons or even the new iPhones can do it, some way of contacting help uh, if you get in trouble that doesn't rely on cell phones. But in this case, the family was located after John set off in search of help. He was spotted by a logging contractor who was working in the area. It's a long weekend, and so I knew there's a logging camp down here, and so nobody's going to be there, and so I'll have to wait till Monday. And so that's just what they did. With a teddy bear on hand, the team awaits their arrival, but nothing tops the comfort and safety of a father's embrace. <sighs> She's a trooper. I'm just very thankful. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Conservative leader Pierre Polyev is in Vancouver trying to ratchet up the pressure for more carbon tax carve-outs, this time for agriculture. And while that in itself may not hit home for all British Columbians, a new poll suggests there is a growing desire for relief when it comes to paying the price for pollution. Janet Brown reports. I mean, it's just another way to make some money for the government, right? A poll in the last week of October of just over 1,100 British Columbians by Innovative Research Group for the Canadian Taxpayers Federation found people are looking for carbon and gas tax relief. British Columbians are struggling right now, and the carbon tax and gas taxes are a huge reason why. The poll found 49% oppose the carbon tax, 24% support it, 20% neither support nor oppose the tax, and 6% aren't sure. When it comes to taxes on gasoline, 66% want gas taxes cut, 16% want gas taxes frozen, 7% want them increased, and 11% are unsure. We need David Eby to take these polling results seriously, listen to his constituents, and provide some much-needed tax relief. I think we're being taxed to death, quite honestly. It's, uh, I think the, the whole world is coming for a shock in the next one to two years, both not only with taxes, but if you even look at what ha what's happening with mortgages. It hurts people that can't afford it. It doesn't hurt the people that can afford it. The people who are going to spend money, it doesn't hurt them. However, the Sierra Club of BC says carbon taxes are necessary. We need this policy. It's just one piece of the puzzle. We need additional climate action. We have to, um, we have to move faster. The Surrey Board of Trade says taxes are pushing businesses to the financial breaking point. They're hanging on by a thread. And so there's bottom line erosion related to taxation and fees, supply chain challenges, labor challenges, you name it. I, I get the 93 stuff, so sometimes I'm paying like 250, 260 a liter. So, I mean, even for a small car, it still costs like 120 to fill up. 
The Taxpayers Federation says the polling numbers should be a wake-up call for the provincial NDP and all politicians. Janet Brown, Global News. All right. How much of a wake-up call, though? Keith Baldry joins us now to explain why getting rid of the carbon tax isn't as easy as people might think. Exactly, because it becomes such a big part of the government budget, much more so than it was what was first introduced 15 years ago. Look at the numbers just in the beginning of time of 2008 and how it's grown to the most recent years. Just $338 million 15 years ago was a revenue contribution to the budget. Now it's nudging $3 billion next year. That's the projected intake from the carbon tax. So it's become a vital part of the budget, and you just can't snap your fingers and get rid of it. To put these numbers in context, we're getting more uh, revenue from the carbon tax and get the government's getting from gaming, tobacco, and alcohol sales combined. You turn that into spending, to put it in context again, that $3 billion, if it was a ministry item, would be the biggest ministry in the entire budget with the exception of health care, education, and social services. So getting rid of the carbon tax was much easier 10, 15 years ago than it is now. It would blow a $3 billion hole in the budget. Not to say the government's not going to make some changes, though. I think the political pressure is increasing on the EB government and the Trudeau government to do more to offset the impact of uh, carbon taxes. Look for something perhaps in the spring budget to address that. Mm, it's obviously becoming quite an issue. All right, thanks for that, Keith. A growing demand for answers after evidence Iranian agents are finding safe haven in Canada. Canada is not safe. That's heartbreaking. The lax immigration controls putting Canada's national security at risk and how conservatives are criticizing the Trudeau government for not doing enough to stop it. That's coming up next on the News Hour. A huge boost for Squamish Search and Rescue. What they just won at an international competition will come in very handy. That's later. Plus. I started bowling here when I was 14. The last bowling lanes in Terrace and the woman trying to spare it from the wrecking ball coming up as well. First, though, after Global News exposed the extent of Iran's interference in Canada and our country's reputation as a safe haven for members of the regime, Pierre Poiliev is speaking out. The official opposition leader says he wasn't aware until the report aired, and now he wants immediate action. Negar Mojtahedi broke the story on the new reality and has more reaction. That reporting was shocking. Political fallout tonight over our reporting about the Iranian regime's reach on Canadian soil. To think that we might have terrorist-linked Iranian regime thugs operating with impunity, spending stolen money, and intimidating Canadian Jews and Iranians is appalling. The leader of the opposition has been vocal about getting tough with the Islamic Republic, but even he admits he had no idea how widespread the problem is. Your documentary uh, made me realize how much more uh, brutal it is. They will not be prosecuted. That's just a fact. This BC lawyer has been building a database on an alarming number of regime insiders operating in Canada and threatening those who speak out against them. We have about 700 names right now um, that are either have temporary residence, permanent residence or citizenship that are in Canada and that are somehow regime affiliates. They came to Canada knowing that this is going to be their safe haven. They live in big mansions that they bought from money they stole from poor people in Iran. To learn from your report that it was 700 
uh, was staggering and it requires immediate action to kick them out of this country. World-renowned human rights activist Masi Alinejad has been an outspoken critic of the regime for years. She has been moving from safe house to safe house ever since an alleged attempt on her life in July of last year. Not only is she in danger in the United States, she shared this disturbing detail about the dangers in Canada too. FBI told me that as far as you are in America, we will protect you. But we suggest you not to go to Canada. It's mind-blowing. Who would ever have thought eight years ago that our allies would think Canada is too dangerous a place to go. The solution? Polyev has been pushing to list the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps as a terrorist entity in Canada. We have a common sense plan to ban those terrorists, to expel as many as possible, to smash them with sanctions, and to bring in a foreign agent registry so that we can expose every single one of them. We also reached out to the Prime Minister's office and four federal cabinet ministers, but none were available for comment. But we will keep pushing for answers, if only because the people risking their lives to speak out against the regime deserve them. Nagar Moshehedi, Global News. Vivian Silver, one of the Canadians missing since the October 7th attacks by Hamas on Israel, has now been confirmed dead. It was originally thought she had been taken hostage, but a close friend now says forensic identification confirms she was killed during the attack on the kibbutz where she lived. The 74-year-old, who was originally from Winnipeg, was a renowned peace activist dedicated to promoting a shared society between Israelis and Palestinians. She was helping train Gazan residents on business development and for years had helped transport cancer patients from Gaza to Israeli hospitals. And there is grave concern tonight for the safety of civilians inside many of Gaza's hospitals as Israel's campaign to eliminate Hamas pushes forward. The intensity of the conflict is also playing out at the border with Lebanon. A warning, some of the details of this story are disturbing. Reggie Cicchini has more. For just a few hours on Monday, Gazans were again given a chance to find something that resembles a safe place. But it's a journey of torment, as this man calls it. It's an arduous task to flee on foot, regardless of someone's age. Hundreds, including Canadians, have managed to cross at Rafa, but for those who can't, safety isn't always a guarantee. A strike in the south on Monday killed at least three. We were sitting in the streets and suddenly the strike happened and the lights turned off, said this resident. This hospital at least has some power. At others, like the Al-Shifa hospital, doctors have so few resources, patients, including newborns, are simply left to die. Al-Shifa is an iconic hospital in Gaza. It is always the hospital that continues to function across the wars. For those who live, it's becoming more desperate. Markets are nearly out of food, water is difficult to come by, and communication technology is dwindling. By Thursday, uh, all their system will be shut down because they will run out of fuel. Beyond the border with Gaza, this conflict is slowly spreading. More fire was exchanged between the IDF and Hezbollah in the north, while in Syria, the U.S. carried out strikes on Iranian-held sites amid an escalating tit-for-tat triggered by the Israel-Hamas conflict. Iran is trying to poke and provoke the United States, but does not want a broader war. Iran recognizes its own military weakness 
it recognizes that it would be on the losing end of a broader war. For Israel, the stakes are high. Its prime minister, visiting troops on the battlefield, told them his nation is going for total victory. But it could come with extensive collateral damage, making its quest for resolve and peace much more difficult. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. A rude awakening for downtown residents. How this urban park is turning into Party Central long after closing time and the petition to stop it later. Also ahead, a new poll shows the soaring cost of living has a Scrooge-like effect on spending. If you get global news from Instagram or Facebook, that has changed due to Meta's decision to block Canadian news in response to new government legislation. Easy access to important breaking news and information in Canada and about your community is no longer available on Meta platforms. Go to globalnews.ca and sign up to get news alerts delivered directly to you and learn about how Bill C-18 affects your access to Canadian news. A playground in the heart of downtown Vancouver is becoming an impromptu late-night party zone and neighbors don't like it one bit. It's believed the revelers are coming from the Granville Entertainment District with no regard for the noise they make. And now there's a petition to stop it. Grace Key reports. This party in downtown Vancouver last summer was complete with music, lights, and a line of dancers. They were definitely having a good time, but not the neighbors. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe <laughs> that this was happening. And it, it's because it seemed so organized, it wasn't even a random thing. Mark Drutz lives across from Rainbow Park on Richards and Smythe Streets. He says the overnight noise has gotten unbearable ever since the park opened last summer. He thinks it's people coming from the Granville Entertainment District. They're cavorting on the equipment, so they're not just sitting there having quiet conversations. They're jumping around and screaming and hooting and hollering and having a great time. Mark has lived in the area for 13 years. He says he's used to noise, but lately he's tried everything to drown out the late night partiers. I've tried uh, earplugs, I've tried white sound machines, uh, I've even tried keeping the doors closed and using fans in the heat of summer, and, and just the voices pierced through everything. Mark has started a petition asking the park board to fence off the park and lock it after hours or hire a security guard overnight. He's called the police before, but doesn't believe increased patrols will really solve the issue. The police can't really patrol it, even if they had time, because it's in terms of what the police have to look after, it's minor. Um, but even if they come and shoot people away, the people will come back or the next group of people will come along. So there's, there's no regulating it. This was actually the second party at Rainbow Park. There was a similar one in June. Mark is hoping to get enough signatures on the petition to initiate some changes to the park. Grace Key, Global News. As shoppers pound the pavement on the road to Black Friday, retailers are bracing for what could be a bleak holiday season. I don't think we've seen a um, sort of a situation like this within basically a generation. Research seems to agree. A recent survey by BMO shows consumer confidence waning. 78% of those surveyed say they will buy fewer gifts this year. 
45% say they will spend less money, and slightly more than a quarter will buy gifts for fewer people, while 37% are not sure how they will pay for it all. And I think a lot of the um, consumer uh, sentiment around spending and starting to really seriously budget and pull back was beginning sort of May, June. Retailers, too, are facing significant headwinds. Costs are up, margins are down. The great deals people expect on Black Friday or Cyber Monday may not be in the real world, but instead online. FedEx putting out some data showing that is increasingly where consumers are anyway. 57% of shoppers say they will spend their money online this year. 66% say they do it for the convenience. Just about half say they're comparing specs and prices before they commit their money. And by doing it online, you have a little breathing space behind the scenes to fulfill orders. Often what consumers say is not matched by what they actually spend. This year may be different. The true picture of retail spending won't be fully known until all those bills come due in January. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Just ahead, natural beauty spoiled by squatters. One of the largest illegal camps in BC history and the huge job to clean it up. Next on the News Hour. And later, a wall collapse at a Langley construction site. And how builders are lucky it wasn't a whole lot worse. Planning is underway to clean up two large squatter camps in the Okanagan backcountry, but it will still be months before the work can get underway. Claudia Van Emmerich had a tour of one of those camps today, and as she shows us, it's going to be an enormous effort. I just can't believe the amount of garbage that's left. Piles of garbage along with all kinds of household items, including appliances, vehicle tires, knives and drug paraphernalia. Tools, different tools, clothes. Among the clutter and debris, a fire still smoldering at this longtime squatter camp in the hills just east of Okanagan Falls, although no one was there when we showed up Monday morning. This has been four years now and no one has dealt with it. It just gets worse and worse and worse. A handful of RVs and trailers also on site, one attached to a log structure. They've dug a hole into the ground and made a living room. Brant Cassie grew up in the area and is upset to see nature being destroyed. Quite disgusted, actually, and I'm angry that the system has let this happen. It should never be this way. Kane Blake agrees. He founded the Okanagan Forest Task Force, a group of outdoor enthusiasts concerned about illegal dumping in forests and the abuse of the backcountry. It's, it's very disheartening um, to the amount of damage somebody can do to a backcountry. There's batteries that have been dumped in the ground, there's garbage that's partially buried, they're burning garbage, um, there's been, we've seen wildlife in that area that were injured. Blake has seen his fair share of bush encampments, but this one stands out. This is one of the largest, I'm going to say close to or the largest encampment we've actually seen. And this is not the only encampment these same squatters have set up in this area. There is a similar campsite about three kilometers up the road. The second site includes numerous burnt-out vehicles and a whole lot of garbage as well. The Okanagan Force Task Force and its volunteers already getting planning underway to get the sites cleaned up early next year. We're looking at probably removing close to 200,000 pounds of garbage and debris. Brand Cassie will be lending a big helping hand and hopes others join in. We're trying to get some volunteers help 
anyone that can donate equipment or time just to come help clean up garbage in the spring. In a desperate attempt to try and restore this piece of backcountry to its natural state. Claudia Van Armour, Global News, near Okanagan Falls. A harm reduction advocacy group has launched a legal challenge against BC's new rules on public drug use. Bill 34 prohibits the use of drugs near building entrances, bus stops and playgrounds, as well as in parks, beaches and sports fields. BC says the measure is meant to help residents feel safe in their communities and encourage people who use drugs to visit overdose prevention sites. But the Harm Reduction Nurses Association says it will lead to more hidden drug use and increase the risk of a fatal overdose. It also argues the law relies on services that don't exist because not all communities have safe consumption spaces. The BC Ministry of Public Safety and Solicitor General tells Global News it is aware of the legal filing and is reviewing the claim. Coming up, a trip back in time to the Terrace Bowling Centre. On a Friday and a Saturday night, if you don't book a lane, you're not going to get one operating for 70 years why this community hub is in danger of closing. And in sports, the BC Lions consider what it's going to take to be the best in the West after their season came to a disappointing end. This weekend's windstorm packed a punch for many parts of the south coast, including Langley. Yeah, check out the mess outside this condo construction site on Fraser Highway this morning. The storm caused the wall to collapse, crashing into the parking lot of the neighboring car dealership. At least one pickup truck has been damaged very badly, but no injuries have been reported, thankfully. The storm left about 235,000 customers in the dark. BC Hydro crews were able to restore power to nearly everyone by Sunday. And I think at five, Yvonne, you called it very active weather. <laughs> yeah, it was very active. At least it, at least it sort of dissipated towards the latter half of our long weekend. Uh, thanks, guys. Uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, some great shots of a couple of rainbows that were captured. This one uh, was taken out of Chilliwack, uh, taken by Tracy. So thank you so much. And this one by Emily. And it looks like a brief, I don't know if it's a double rainbow. I can't tell on that one. I thought I had a photo of one. Uh, this is a great shot from our Wall Center Hotel, or Pan Pacific Hotel, rather camera just showing outside this evening we've got dry, dry conditions we're currently sitting at six degrees but it is going to be chilly overnight tonight we've got a brief break between systems we'll anticipate that leading in towards the day for back to work and school this will however be the next weather maker that is going to drive in along the north and central coast and we are tracking the return for some wet weather that is going to push in along the south coast as well so overnight tonight it'll be cool we'll be down to one whistler minus four and a few spots in towards the interior also below the freezing mark and we could see some fog patches in the mix as well. We do have a snowfall warning that is currently in effect and that includes Whitehorse where the snow is going to continue this evening and leading in towards tomorrow morning 10 and up to 15 centimeters is possible. There's that weather maker we can see it on the future cast and that same system is going to move along the south coast. The timing for us will be late tomorrow evening and then taking us in towards our Wednesday. That'll be the blip in the forecast. We are looking at the chance and the potential for some showers dissipating quite quickly. We're back into some sunshine for Thursday Friday. So along the 
north coast, it'll be unsettled over the next two and potentially three days. The northeastern corners of the province with some sunshine, much of the southern half for the interior, a nice break. We did have a lot of snowfall uh, over the weekend and most spots across the island. It's just the northern and western regions that could see some showers popping up as early as the afternoon. We've got some sunshine in the mix tomorrow. Showers late leading in towards our Wednesday, Thursday, Friday with sunny skies. Highs between 7 and 9 degrees. All right, another great shot. This one was taken from Pump Peak, which is at Mount Seymour, and it was taken by Simon, and this is a fog bow. Guys? All right, beautiful. Very Thank cool. you, Yvonne. Well, what a weekend of celebration for two BC organizations, the military charity Honor House and Squamish Search and Rescue. Both coming away victorious at the Defender Service Awards in Texas. And as Angela Jung tells us, a new Land Rover promises to open a new frontier for crews. When outdoor enthusiasts in Squamish are trapped, lost or injured, the local search and rescue team is there to help. And when Squamish SAR needed assistance, people came out in droves. The level of support provided by uh, the community of Squamish, the whole sea to sky in the lower mainland was amazing, uh, as well as the search and rescue teams across Canada that kind of stepped up and help promote us. The Defender Service Awards. It was a finalist for one of six Defender Service Awards open to North American nonprofits. It's direct competition, Texas Search and Rescue. It's a big state and uh, even if a fraction of them decided to support it, we would have uh, had trouble keeping up. The winner was decided by public votes. Over the weekend, the results were announced at this gala in the Longhorn State. The winner of the Pelican Search and Rescue Award is the Squamish Search and Rescue Society. Elation erupted as the team watched virtually. This defender will be a huge benefit to our organization. Squamish SAR will be taking home 25,000 USD, thousands in outdoor gear and a customized 4x4 Land Rover. Having the Land Rover and its capabilities really means that we can actually respond to remote areas uh, that we otherwise wouldn't be able to get to except by helicopter. And helicopters are not always guaranteed. No guarantees because as wildfire seasons heat up, choppers are busy. And now Squamish SAR will have the Land Rover in the spring. It'll be showing up just before things start to ramp up. Allowing them to do rescues in the wilderness, on wheels. Angela Jung, Global News. Pretty sweet ride, too, if you can get one of those. For sure. Yeah. All right, uh, Squire is here, here now with a look ahead to sports, and it was a, it was a nice run while it was going. But. Yeah, <laughs> it was kind of like last year. It was nice, and then they had to go to Winnipeg, and they got frozen out of a Grey Cup berth, so... Uh, that all sounds so familiar. Mm -hmm. It does. Two years <laughs> in a row. The BC Lions are facing another offseason to try and figure out what to do better next year. Um, but we're, we're going to try to bring a lot of people back, try to have as much continuity as, as we can. They still haven't found the right mix to beat Winnipeg, and that is the ultimate goal for 2024. Also coming up tonight, why the last pin might fall at the Terrace Bowling Centre, an entertainment hotspot in the community for the past 70 years. That's later.
from protecting small business gems to outing big business bullies. If it matters to consumers, it matters to investigative reporter Andrua. Consumer Matters with Andrua on Global News. An important date coming up. Squire is here to remind us. Yes. American Thanksgiving is November 23rd. So why am I telling you that? Well, if you have American friends, you should be sure to phone them that day. But more importantly, if you're an NHL team and you're in a playoff spot on American Thanksgiving, traditionally, you have about a 75% chance of holding that playoff spot all the way to the end of the year. And right now, the Canucks will likely be in a playoff spot on American Thanksgiving. In fact, six of their next seven games are against teams that are currently not in a playoff position. So all is good right now. And look at this. Three Canucks in the top five of scoring, and it's November. No idea if it'll stay this way, but that's incredible. With one of those Canucks being a defenseman, and some might think so, but I don't think it's a stretch to say this now, Quinn Hughes is already the best Canuck defenseman in team history. And Brock Besser is second to Austin Matthews for goals this season. He has 12. Matthews has 13. Besser's shooting percentage is almost 29%. That's really high. That probably won't continue, but even a drop-off shouldn't keep him from threatening at least 30 goals this season, which would be a career high, and 30 might be a low estimate if he stays healthy. Oh, and one more cannot fit. They have put uh, Jack Stanika on waivers in order to send him down to Abbotsford. With Teddy Bluger back, he becomes the odd man out. He played only five games this year, scored just this goal on a two-on-none with Patterson. I think that was in the second game of the year against the Oilers. Speaking of the Oilers, they have a new coach, Chris Knobloch, who used to be Connor McDavid's junior coach. I'm sure Connor had nothing to do with getting him in there. Uh, 40 seconds into his tenure as the Oilers coach, they get scored on. Coquitlam's Matthew Barzell, but Leon Dreisaitl tied it, and they are early in the second period. Knobloch also used to be the head coach in Cranbrook of the Kootenai Ice at one time. So, how the BC Lions stayed in range of Winnipeg during the Western Final really is a minor miracle. Vernon Adams was getting hit all night. He was treated like Mick Foley was against The Undertaker and Helen Nacelle back in 98. The Lions are back home wondering, just like last year, what does it take for them to get past that big blue wall that's been keeping them from the Grey Cup? Adams needs five to keep the drive alive. Has time. Down the field for Rhymes. It hangs up there. Broken up. Uh, still, uh, I don't, it didn't feel like it was the way it was going to end for us this year. So it's still a little foggy about the whole situation. After a second straight Western final defeat at the hands of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, that fog is going to hang around the lines for quite some time nor will it be lifting anytime soon, at least not until the Lions retool and find a way of beating the Bombers when it matters the most. Winnipeg off to its fourth straight Grey Cup. In order to be the best of the West, you have to beat the best in the West. Right now, we're just trying to um, figure out how to beat the Bombers. I mean, that, that, let's, let's, let's call it what it is. I mean, they are the upper echelon football team in the Canadian Football League. We are trying to uh, be them, and uh, as we un unfortunately saw on Saturday, we're not there yet. We're going to try to bring a lot of people back, try to have as much continuity as, as we can. There's going to be changes, there always is, but uh, um, it's going uh, to be a lot of hard work, and I know our personnel guys are already all over it. Adams, second and six for his own 44, in trouble again, taken down again! 
giving up nine sacks in a playoff game tells you that the Lions offensive line needs some upgrading. Same for the D-line, which once again couldn't contain or stop Brady Oliveira, who ran wild for a combined 239 yards in the last two Western Finals against BC. The vibe I'm getting from um, the people around here, the coaches and Neil and Ryan Rigmaiden and, um, and players is there's a, there's a hunger for more that let's, let's find ways to get better. Um, sometimes every season doesn't end like that. Sometimes it's, uh, it's uh, I think there's a, a hunger around here to let's keep, let's keep going and keep uh, trying to build this thing and, and, and find ways to get better. Canada is both the queen and the king of team tennis. Our men are the defending Davis Cup champions and our women, and they had to play this without an injured Bianca Andreescu, won the Billie Jean Cup on the weekend for the first time ever. The event was a coming out party for 18-year-old Marina Stakujic, who pulled off multiple upsets in singles competition, but the stone-cold closer for Canada was Leila Fernandez, who was literally unbeatable. I can finally say this, we're world champions and we rightfully deserve it. We worked really hard the past years and, you know, I think every year, as I said before, we just keep improving and it's showing on the tennis court, it's showing in competition, individual competitions, and then that it has shown in the biggest stage in the world. And Rebecca Marino of Vancouver was on that team as well. It was a great moment to it was. see. So proud of them. That's awesome. Thanks, Squire. Still ahead, the owners of Terrace Bowling Lanes trying to keep the ball rolling after more than 70 years. Jordan Armstrong is in the newsroom with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11. Jordan? Chris, he knew this was going to happen. People are already trying to get around BC's incoming rules for short-term rentals. A short-term rental management company had been offering people $500 to change the address on their driver's license to match an address it selects and apply for an Airbnb approval. Now that's because the new rules coming next year allow people to offer short-term accommodation only if it's at their principal residence. At 11, we'll hear from a lawyer as well as BC's housing minister on this. Chris. All right, look forward to that. Thank you, Jordan. Well, for nearly 70 years, the only bowling alley in Terrace has hosted countless birthday parties, league nights, and get-togethers, but its days might be numbered. Keeping it running is a labor of love for the owner, but despite its popularity, it may have to move or even close. Cliff Shim has the story. From the outside, it's a beat-up old military barrack fighting a war against time. They've slowly been torn down over the years. This is one of the very few left. But listen closely. This barrage of strikes and spares, helping this community hub and terrace survive for nearly 70 years with just the right touch of loving care. Oh, it might be a good one. Yay! I think these are the same bowling balls that were here when I was a kid. The only thing that might have changed since I was a child was uh, some paint, um, a new scoring system. Sold to the city by its original owners three years ago, the plan was to knock it down. Terrace Bowling Center. Teresa. That's when Teresa Moffitt picked up the ball, negotiating to run the Terrace Bowling Center while the city owns the building and land. I started bowling here when I was 14. Also known as the Lanes. It has the look, Lane mops for cleaning feel, and sound from another time when the best solutions were homemade. My husband invented a handy little thing with a nail and a stick. 
and the work keeps on coming. There's buttons, there's TV screens, there's too many holes in the bowling balls and they have to be filled. But the payoff makes it all worthwhile. On a Friday and a Saturday night, if you don't book a lane, you're not going to get one. The Moffitt's current lease is up in three years with it worries. This party might be coming to an end. We're going to have to find some place to either move the bowling alley into a building already there or buy a piece of property and build something to move it into. Nearly seven decades of gutter balls, turkeys and perfect games have been enshrined within these walls. I'm hoping they'll persevere, but eventually, like all things, it'll be just a memory. But there is still hope. The lanes will find a way to rise again before the legacy built in this old barrack reaches its final frame. Cliff Shim, Global News, Terrace. I want to go there. Oh, yeah, now yeah. I feel like right? bowling. Yeah. <laughs> we got to plan ahead, guys, though. We said Friday, Saturday, you're out. If you don't, <laughs> you know, you got to get right. in early. You've got to book a lane there. Yeah, for sure. who's All driving? Right. Best of luck and hope um, that uh, they can get a deal. I'll drive. Okay. <laughs> Road trip. All right. <laughs> All right, uh, Yvonne, final word on the weather, and we have uh, a little bit more sunshine. Yeah, just uh, chilly this evening. Do keep that in mind for back to work and school tomorrow morning. We'll be close to or hovering the freezing mark. Some fog patches will be in the mix, and then some sunshine for the afternoon. Blip in the forecast is really on Wednesday. A few isolated showers, and then sunny for Thursday, Friday. You always look forward to Friday, but even more so after that forecast. Thanks for watching, everybody. Have a great night. Night, all.